The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. I'm Ryan Church. And I am so glad that you are here. I'm one of the guys on staff here, and it, it's great to be together as we are here on, uh, on Tuesday nights. So just allow me to add my uh, welcome to you and hope that you will take the time before you leave tonight to check out some of the opportunities that we have uh, for you and get connected to the community here at University Ministries. Uh, I know that, that the Young Life College folks were talking about getting together to watch the, the Huskies-Beavers game this weekend. I know I'm a big sports fan. Unfortunately, I'm not the best athlete in the world. Uh, I, uh, as such, as much as I wanted to play football when I was in high school, there are physical limitations that might be obvious to you that kept me from doing that. Uh, so one thing I did do was I went and I ran uh, cross country. Now, I wasn't all that talented at it. Yeah, there's a, I like it. There's some runners up, uh, up in the house. Uh, I, I wasn't all that talented, but I had uh, what, we, what we might call um, a really positive strength to weight ratio, which I, pretty, which I think is, is pretty much code for he's pretty skinny. Uh, so this might work out for us. So uh, as, a, as, as somebody who had that robust strength to weight ratio, uh, I figured out that, uh, you know, cross country came, you know, fairly, fairly easy uh, to me. And I was not the most motivated guy in the world. So uh, there, was this one, there was this one run that we would do in our, in our practice that our coach called the Trail of Tears. It was this, this uh, yeah, I know. I, I grew up out in Port Angeles, and it was actually alongside the road that took you up to Hurricane Ridge, right? And so the, the Trail of Tears, we'd go on the Trail of Tears. Well, I figured out fairly early on, uh, I mean, this, this run was brutal, but I figured out there was one place where if you ran to it and then made a left turn and then walked really slow for a while, you would end up kind of, you would kind of cut off a whole loop of the Trail of Tears, about three miles, and you'd get back <laughs> at exactly the same time as all the people who were running really, really hard. You know, if not... You'd show up a few steps ahead of him and be like, oh, yeah, I totes dommed that run right there, <laughs> okay? So I was, I was one that found a way uh, in my high school cross-country career to find some shortcuts. And as such, I would kind of bounce back and forth. And this was really my whole high school career, bounce back and forth between the varsity and the JV team. I was really never all that good. But I was good enough to, uh, to let her as a sophomore get my sweet jacket, which helped me pull chicks, okay? which was really what I was into at that point. Okay? I share that story because it seems that we are all tempted to try and find that shortcut. We are always a little bit tempted to try and find a way out of suffering, aren't we? We're tempted to cheat on a test because we would be embarrassed by having a lower grade than we would want. We are tempted to just go with the flow, to just do what everybody else is doing because we're scared of being lonely or being isolated. So we take shortcuts. We find ways to cheat. 
And of course, the alternative to cheating, uh, to finding a shortcut, is this thing that we might call character or integrity. And as we've been doing throughout this quarter, we want to we hone in a little bit tonight on this word integrity. This is really interesting. Janie shared this with me uh, today, that uh, a few years ago, every year, uh, Webster, the dictionary people, come out with a word of the year. And the word of the year a few years ago was this word integrity. And the reason that they selected this particular word was because there were more internet searches for the definition of this word than any other word in English. And the, the prevailing theory on that is that the understanding of what integrity is had been so blurred or had so disappeared that people would have to actually go on the internet and look it up. Okay, so integrity is this thing that, that perhaps we've, we've, we've lost a little bit of, of what it means. You know, and and uh, just for comparison's sake, the word of the year this year, I think this is so fascinating, given that it was integrity a few years ago. The word of the year this year is selfie. Okay, <laughs> put those two things together, okay? Integrity, for what we're going to be talking about tonight, let me offer up a definition. This isn't necessarily what Webster would give you. Uh, but integrity uh, and character is simply who are you when no one's looking? Who are you when the going gets tough? And there is that possibility to take the shortcut. There's that possibility to cheat. That's what we want to look at tonight. Uh, to, to get uh, many of you up to speed here, I know that uh, as I stand up here, I see a lot of familiar faces, and I'm grateful to see a lot of new ones as well. This fall, we've been uh, taking a journey through the Old Testament where we see how God's story is also our story. Throughout the quarter, we've been reading stories and highlighting themes, uh, Janie and I have, uh, that we really want you to connect with in the scriptures. And, and, and here's a, a bit of a shameless plug. Many of you may not know this, but if you've missed some of these talks, we have an app, both for Android and iPhones, that you can go and catch up on some of the themes that we've been hitting in scripture. And then also a plug, next week is the first of our intern talks. You saw Grant up here earlier uh, leading us in the opportunities. He's going to be sharing next week. And so I, I hope that you will all come back uh, because I know Grant's going to have some great things to say as we wrap up the Old Testament part um, of our series. But as Janie led us to last week, we are to this point uh, that we call the exile. And I just want to let you know that, that to the degree that this might, this might feel a little bit different, you haven't talked about this, this whole idea of exile is very important to understanding the Old Testament and thus the Bible. Exile on the surface can leave us asking, as it did the ancient Hebrews, where is God? Have we been abandoned? Where is God? Did, did God fail? Did we fail? We come to a story tonight, as Janie led us into last night, imposing the question, failure is not necessarily fatal. Failure isn't fatal, but it redirects us. And so tonight, we come to a passage that I wonder if our brothers and sisters who come to us from overseas can relate to the passage that we're going to read tonight in a way that, that those of us that, that have always grown up uh, in the U.S., if not Western Washington, can't quite understand. We come to a story of living in exile. 
We come to a story where people are, are strangers in a strange land. We come to a story of somebody who is living in these conditions, but not taking any shortcuts. Someone who is living with integrity. Somebody committed to keeping the faith and living that faith, even when the conditions that he's in make it confusing or difficult. Tonight, we're going to look at the book of Daniel. We're going to look at the character of Daniel. Now, Daniel is one of these guys that is essentially a prisoner of war. Okay, one of the things that, that when you are a, a POW in this, in this whole thing, you essentially uh, have the possibility of, of having to, to then go and work for the people that have captured you and enslaved you. Now, Daniel would have been trained very well, this, this Hebrew, this, this, this man of Judah. He would have been trained well in the things that we've been talking about this quarter. He would know the promises of God that would have been handed down through the ages. He would know the story of deliverance of the Exodus. He would know that God had provided. He would know the covenant that God had made with his people. And yet, there's nothing that is right before him that would suggest that that God is with them. Yet, he's a, he's a, the scriptures tell us he's a pretty good-looking guy. He was one of the best and brightest of all, in all of Judah. And the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, was well aware of that. And so Daniel uh, is brought into the king's court. And that's where we want to pick up the story. As we come to the scriptures tonight, I want to invite uh, our friend Lulu to come up and share with us. And she's going to read uh, a, a few passages of Daniel 1 in Indonesian. And as Terry said earlier... Uh, I want us to join in on this as, as a, basically an exercise in empathy. We are not strangers in a strange land. Uh, but we're going to hear a passage in, in a tongue that I think most of you don't understand in Indonesian. Uh, and, and we're still even going to throw you a bone. We're going to project it in English, but I invite you to hear it in Indonesian, and then we'll take it from there. Lulu, lead us in this text from Daniel. Daniel 1, 8-17. Daniel berketetapan untuk tidak menajiskan dirinya dengan santapan raja dan dengan anggur yang biasa diminum raja. Dimintanyalah kepada pemimpin pegawai istana itu supaya ia tak usah menajiskan dirinya. Maka Allah mengaruniakan kepada Daniel kasih dan sayang dari pemimpin pegawai istana. Tapi berkatalah pemimpin pegawai istana itu kepada Daniel... Aku takut kalau-kalau tuanku raja yang telah menetapkan makanan dan minumanmu berpendapat bahwa kamu kelihatan kurang sehat daripada orang-orang yang muda lain. Sehingga karena kamu aku dianggap bersalah oleh raja. Kemudian berkatalah Daniel kepada penjenang yang telah diangkat oleh pemimpin pegawai istana. Untuk mengawasi Daniel, Hananya, Misael, dan Azaria. Adakalah percobaan dengan hamba-hambamu ini selama 10 hari dan biarlah kami diberikan sayur untuk dimakan. Dan air untuk diminum. Sudah itu bandingkanlah perawakan kami dengan perawakan orang-orang orang-orang muda yang makan dari santapan raja. Kemudian perlakukanlah hamba-hambamu ini sesuai dengan pendapatmu. Didengarkannya permintaan mereka itu, lalu dikatakanlah percobaan kepada mereka selama 10 hari. 
Setelah lewat 10 hari ternyata perawakan mereka lebih baik dan mereka kelihatan lebih gemuk daripada semua orang muda yang telah makan dari santapan raja. Kemudian penjenang itu selalu mengambil makanan mereka dan anggur yang selalu mereka minum, lalu kembara sayur mereka. Kepada keempat orang muda itu Allah memberikan pengetahuan dan kepandaian tentang berbagai-bagai tulisan dan hikmat, sedang Daniel juga mempunyai pengertian tentang berbagai-bagai penglihatan dan mimpi. Setelah lewat waktu yang ditetapkan raja, bahwa mereka sekalian harus dibawa menghadap, maka dibawalah mereka oleh pemimpin gawar istana itu kepada Nebuchadnezzar. And that's it. Oh, that's actually one first more. Anyway. Amen. Let's thank Lulu for sharing. Again, I, I, I enjoy knowing that people can hear the scriptures in languages that are familiar to them, and it's an opportunity for us to stand in solidarity for what Terry must have experienced when she first came over uh, and was, was having a hard time connecting with the language. Let me summarize what just happened right there with Daniel. Okay, Daniel is taken under into the king's court to be really into his cabinet, and he is offered the best food and drink from the king's table. This could be living the dream for him. And instead, he says, you know what? Um, in the laws that I have grown up in, uh, it would not be right for me to eat the food from, from this table. Well, this guard uh, in King Nebuchadnezzar's court, it says, look, if you don't eat, I'm going to be the one that's in trouble. And so Daniel says, okay, I don't want you to get in trouble. How about if, if we, we broker a deal here? Give me 10 days, let's see how this is working out, and, and then we can assess it from there. Well, uh, th- there are some people who love to use this as a proof text to kind of sp- uh, spiritualize veganism, okay? Because all Daniel and his buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, eat are the veggies. Well, it turns out these guys end up looking better than anybody else, and they're, they're endowed with all sorts of, of wisdom. They look better nourished than anybody else, and so... Uh, they got to keep eating these, these vegetables. And in the end, Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all, kind, all kinds. Okay, I want to share with you a little bit about why Daniel has become one of my, my favorite characters uh, in, the Bible, in the Old Testament, if not the whole Bible. Okay, first off, here's what I love about Daniel. One, I love how he communicates. Okay, he, he communicates with a degree of compassion for this guard that he doesn't want to get him in trouble. He, is, he wants to serve his God. And so he's uncompromising in that, but he's uncompromising by what? Being compromising. Okay, it can feel like there's a bit of a contradiction there, but, but I love the way that Daniel approaches this. You guys have perhaps all experienced it. If you're a student here at UW, there's sometimes uh, guys that are down, uh, down at Red Square that are, that are yelling and screaming. And I, I'll, I'll say I've always had a hard time with that type of, of, of presentation. There, uh, or, or there's been times when I've been down at Westlake Center in downtown Seattle, and the, these, there are these evangelists, and they're just preaching judgment on everyone. And if you approach them, they would say, we have to be uncompromising. And really, they just come off as abrasive, and they really come off as kind of jerks when they do that. Okay, now, I, I don't want to diminish that some might, might be called to that, but I have a really hard time with it. What I love right here is Daniel said, you can be uncompromising, and sometimes you can do that 
by compromising. There's nothing divided in how he wants to follow his God. Here's the second thing I love about, about Daniel that, uh, that comes across in this text. It says in verse 17, to these four men, God gave knowledge, understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. I love that Daniel, uh, a, a, an Israelite, a Hebrew, a man of Judah, can go and study a new culture. He can go and, and hear uh, about a, a totally different worldview, and it's not threatening. Over the years I've been a college pastor, one of the things that, that can create a lot of anxiety in students is, is this sense of, am I betraying my God if I start buying in too much to what my, what my science professors are saying? Or, or a different type of, of philosophy that seems contrary to the worldview. What I love in this text is that there's nothing threatening about that. And in fact, it seems that God uses all this, this literature that they're being trained in to actually give Daniel and his friends actually more understanding about how the world works. I think that's good news. It's good news for those of you that are students right now that you don't have to be threatened when you go into your classes, when you're going to deeply study the sciences or, or philosophies. No, there's an opportunity for you to gain a deeper understanding because God is in that too. Do you believe that? God is in that as well. Well, the last line of the text that, that Lulu just read, uh, it tells us that Daniel was given the ability to interpret dreams. And what ends up happening here in in the next section, is that Daniel is, is constantly able to in, interpret these dreams that, the, that these kings that held them in captivity were having. And the essence of those dreams was, that, was essentially this. Your kingdom will fall, and the kingdom of God will win. Now, this is a very important moment theologically. Because what it is telling us is that these pagan kings, these foreign kings, were also getting visions of who God is. It wasn't just one race of people. It wasn't just one type of person. No, these, these foreign kings that didn't know the vision that they were, they were receiving they were, getting this, they were getting these visions, and what did they need? They needed Daniel to interpret it. I think this, again, connects to the story that, that Terry just shared with us earlier tonight. When, when there was a girl that, that sought her out to, to help introduce her to the community and help her understand what was going on. You see, we need to be in community often to understand that the gospel is big. And maybe to have it interpreted for us. That's what Daniel did for these kings as he was, as he was given the ability to interpret dreams. Well, Daniel's faithfulness in interpreting these dreams and just being who Daniel is and continuing to observe the Levitical laws and, and to pray to God leads him to a position of power and some of the king's people really don't like this. So they somehow convince the king to pass a law that says no praying to anyone but the king and bam, new law. 
No praying to anyone but the king. And so we pick it up in Daniel chapter 6, perhaps one of the most famous chapters in all of the Old Testament. Daniel 6, I'm going to start reading at verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. Okay, you can't miss that right there. They found Daniel praying and asking God for help. These are the very guys that convinced the king to pass this decree. So they went to the king and spoke to him about this royal decree. Did you publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any God or human being except you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, bam, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, ah, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, notice they never, they never make him one of them. This is decades. Daniel's been in Babylon for decades at this point, and he's still one of them, not one of us. Uh, pray, uh, he pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and make every effort until sundown to save him. You see, Daniel had become one of his most trusted advisors. He didn't want to kill him. The king got tricked. Then just as the men went as a group uh, to uh, King Darius um, and said to them, remember your majesty, according to the law, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him in the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, may your God, who you serve continually, rescue you. Of course, uh, any of you who are in Sunday school know that Daniel does indeed get thrown in the lion's den. And as the story goes, he comes out the next morning totally untouched. Well, I want to give you a few more things that I love about Daniel in this passage. First is that Daniel just keeps being Daniel. Even decades later, he's just being himself. We love his consistency, that he just continues to be the same guy. And we love that his consistency is in prayer. Now, even as a pastor, I'm one who's, who really struggles to maintain a degree of consistency in my own prayer life. But Daniel is one that it just seems like he can't not pray. That even when the edict is thrown down, even when he knows it, he can't help himself but to pray. It's part of who he has become. You get the idea he has been praying for years, and it's the thing that even decades later has shaped his relationship and his confidence in God. Daniel keeps being Daniel, and there's a consistency in prayer. The second thing that I love is that Daniel expects to be saved. I love that it says he goes and he prays to God for help. You know, it even seems that King Darius expects him to be saved as too. May your God, who you serve continually, rescue you. The expectation is that God will show up. 
Now, it's easy to look at this and go, okay, if God had sustained me um, for decades, if God had given me the ability to interpret dreams, if God had rescued me from a fiery furnace, if God had rescued me from the lions, well, then I might be able to pray more consistently and with faith as well. If God would just show up to, for me like this as well. And this is where I just return us to remember Daniel is a stranger in a strange land. The greatest desire of his heart is noted to us when it says he opened his windows and turned toward Jerusalem. His great desire is to go home. Even though we can read Daniel and it seems like all of his prayers are answered and he's totally successful and everything somehow seems to work out for him, you got to understand that he's decades into being profoundly disappointed. God has shown up for him, but it's in a way that he totally didn't expect. Perhaps he didn't even want it that way. But because Daniel gets down on his knee, because he learned those, those laws, those Levitical laws about what he should eat and what he shouldn't, because he learned the stories of what God promised and the covenant that he made with God's people, he somehow hangs in there. And of course, he continues to pray. But ultimately, as an exile, as a stranger in a strange land. What he wants to do is go home. Go home to a place where life is a little bit easier, where relationships and God just make a little more sense. So what? So what does all this mean? What, is, what does all this mean for us? Somebody who's living in exile, how, how might we be inspired to live lives of character and integrity, to be faithful to God when it would just be a heck of a lot easier to just fit in? Certainly, we live in a culture where it is not cool to be a Christian. Who are we when no one is looking? Three things I, wanna, I want us to take away from this. Um, the first would be this, and these are, these are really short. First is this, train hard. Let's go back to running. And by the way, for those of you that, that are, are runners as well, Teresa, where are you? You over there? Okay, the, the inn has a bit of a, of a running club, and Teresa is our leader. If you like to run and you don't want to take shortcuts like I did, go running with Teresa. They're going to start tomorrow? All right. What time? 6.30. Okay, if you want more info, find the girl wearing the reflective gear. She will go run. Hey, I'm, here's what I'm happy to tell you. When I'm telling you to train hard, I learned from my high school experience and recognized that I was one who was always too tempted to take shortcuts. So my resolution as I graduated from college and as I, I, I was able to develop some disciplines was that I was going to do one of these things, uh, one of these, it's an Ironman triathlon, okay? An Ironman is a 2.4 mile open water swim, which by the way, swimming in a straight line in open water, a lot harder than you might think. 
Okay, the second leg is a, a, a 112 mile individual time trial on a bike, meaning for those of, those of you that are cyclists, I know Josh Grandinetti is, that you can't draft off anybody's tire. It's just you versus the wind. And then, of course, it finishes with a full marathon, 26.2 miles, 140.6 miles of exercise. As one of my friends uh, asked me when I first said, hey, I'm going to do the Ironman, he said, oh, you do that over how many days? And I'm like, well, actually, you do it in about 12 hours. It's like, okay, not for me. Well, (laughs) there was something in me that said, I'm up for the challenge. And there were a lot of things that I learned in training for an Ironman back in 2005. Uh, and I logged, I logged uh, miles, probably not best measured in hundreds, but in thousands between swimming, biking, and running over the course of the summer. But let me tell you the, the, the most important lesson I learned in training and completing for an Ironman that's captured in this picture. Um, you'll notice that I have, uh, that I'm double fisting. <laughs> I'm double fisting on the run. That one of the things that you have to train to do Okay? Not only are you training to, to swim, bike, and run, one of the most important things that I had to train to do was to learn how to take in food, to take in nutrition while you're doing all these things. Because if you wait until you feel like it, it's too late. Okay? You're going to what we call bonk, you're going to hit the wall, and that is an even more miserable experience. So often... In the way, in the relationship that we have with God and the way that we pursue Jesus is that we're running along and we're just fine and it isn't until, boom, we hit the wall and we feel like we need it that we then say, okay, hit me with whatever it is that I need. Part of the discipline of being people of character and integrity is training in such a consistent way that we're not just logging the miles, that we are, are, are learning how to uh, go and take what we need while we are going. My resolution in completing an Ironman was that I would never pass an aid station without taking something. And often I would, in fact, one person, one of the best pieces of advice I got was on the marathon. Um, there was an aid station at every mile, and, and uh, this woman just said, think of it as 26 one-mile buffets, okay? And I'm like, oh, that was a good idea, and it totally worked. Uh, we have to train hard. In the same way that Daniel didn't wait until he needed it, he didn't wait until he was decades in, he asked for a compromise, give me 10 days. We see in a story that somebody, even when it looked like, hey, we are in exile, God has abandoned us, he continued to stay disciplined in going to that aid station and praying consistently. He couldn't not pray. What does it look like for you to develop a discipline where you are training in such a way that consistently gets you in relationship with God and and connected to God before you feel like you need it. The second thing is this. Expect to suffer. Okay, uh, there was one workout that I remember doing. I was telling Janie about this yesterday. um, That I called the, I call it the run sandwich. Okay, it was a 50-mile bike ride, a 17-mile run, and then another 50-mile bike ride. 
Okay, crazy workout, right? Um, look, I, as I trained for this thing all summer, my wife actually called it, she, she, would, she referred to my training as my mistress. And she was like, if you're ever going to have a mistress, that's a really good one to have. But it was, the, the point was that I was spending a lot of time uh, doing this whole thing. Um, and even in all the training that I did, there was always suffering involved. And on the race day, the part that I remember most was turning the corner. Um, this was after about 75 miles on the bike, so I'm going to 112. And I had been feeling so good at that point. Big smile on my face. I'm, I'm getting it done, just cranking out the miles. They're coming. It feels like they're coming pretty easy. The course turns. And I had been going about 20 miles an hour on my bike. Course turns, and I'm riding straight into a headwind, and I was working the pedals as hard as I possibly could, and I was going about six miles an hour, okay? It was brutal. My legs were cramping up, and, and so I had trained. I had put that time in, but there was still no way to avoid suffering. You know, you don't have to like it, but one of the things that Jesus promises is that in this life, we will have suffering. And so what we're training for are those moments when there is that pain of suffering. And the reason that it's important that on a night when we are all here at the end that you might resolve to become a person of integrity is that what will you do when you are in pain because of that suffering? Let me ask you this. To me, the alternative to integrity here is actually addiction. Addiction happens when we are suffering, when we are experiencing pain from that suffering, and we seek to medicate that pain with substance, uh, with uh, perhaps an unhealthy relationship, perhaps with media. Integrity is the antidote to addiction. The reason that we have to train hard is because we know that suffering is going to come. And training hard is going to help us know who to cling to in those moments when we want to medicate, when we want to go a different direction. Finally, this, expect to be saved. Okay, this picture here is right before I started this Ironman. I knew that I had put in the time. And there was part of me, and, and, and honestly, for me, the, I can look back on this, and, and I can see the doubt in my face um, of, will I be able to handle the pain? But there was also something that I knew I could get in the water because I knew I'd put in the training. I expected to start that race, and I expected to finish it. Because I had put in the miles, because I'd suffered. You guys, you are called to train hard, to draw close to Jesus. And the reason for this is when we make the time, when we, when we create the discipline to be people of character and integrity, to not take the shortcut, what I think it does is it helps you see how God can be real to you. It heightens our awareness of what God is up to and wants to do in our lives. And so I want to encourage you 
to develop those habits that draw you into relationship on a consistent basis, whether you feel like it or not. That in those moments of suffering, that you will have trained to draw close to Jesus and know that he is there even when it doesn't feel like it. And that ultimately, you would expect to be saved. For that's exactly what Jesus did on the cross. It was a sacrifice that said, you can count on this. And not just you individually, but everyone. I am here for you. Let's be people of integrity that count on the reality of that love and that grace as truth for us and as truth for our world. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for who you are, for what you've done for us. Thank you that you have saved us. Thank you that you are with us in suffering. And thank you that your spirit can empower us to be people of integrity. Lord, we do need help with that. Um, Lord, make good on your promises uh, as you always have and help us to have a real experience of that. And so, Lord, uh, as we finish up tonight, be enthroned on the praises of your people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.